Season 1, Episode 27 of the Punk Theology Podcast. Gonna hang out with some salty punks today? Are ya? You fellow punk are ya? Good, we're glad you're here. Last episode, Truth. This episode, Lies on Punk Theology. Sit-down villain, eyes in the ceiling. Your false attentions have won them. But we've been in your room, lending your clothes a toe. We've got one on you. Many of us coming from the backgrounds we did, this is a little foreign, but my wife and I have new friends that we've made in the last year who are completely open and honest on the other direction where they have an open marriage. And they have... They invite you guys over, hey! (laughs) (laughs) We got the hot tub going! did make the relationship a little bit weird. I'm like, I don't know how many people they have relationships with where it doesn't escalate. Um... Has anybody ever lied about spending money on something? Like you spent money and then made up a story on where that money went. You keep it to yourself until you come to this aha moment when you've been into it. Is it okay then to share that secret? I have a clarifying question. When you say indiscretion, do you mean backing the minivan into a mailbox? (laughs) Or... Very serious. In one case, it could be easier, in a way, to be caught in the lie and then have to confess the lie than it would be to, of your own volition, come forward and say, hey, I've been lying to you. Because if you do that, not only do you confess the lie, you know, do you, not only do you say, I've been lying to you, but you're also saying to that person, I didn't trust you with the truth. Did I mention this show is marked explicit for explicit language? Did I mention that? I did. I just did right there. And it's also a listener-supported podcast. We have a donor, a Patreon saint, sinner saint named Carlton, who donates to the show monthly. If you would like to be part of this movement, this punk thing we would love to have you on board 110 subscribers now like to thank jeff also for leaving a review on itunes of the punk theology podcast thanks man And anyone else out there who would please, please leave a review of this podcast, that would also help with the rankings of this podcast. Other folks seeing it on iTunes, Stitcher, or TuneIn, or Overcast, right? People would go, oh, that looks interesting, and it would just do so much good in the world. If you could take a millisecond out of your day to do that. 
See that? That's a lie right there. It would take longer than a millisecond. It would. But a few minutes? Are you kidding me? For the the awesomeness that you would be putting out in the world? See what I'm doing there? I'm stirring at least one of you out there to go, yeah, fuck it. I'm going to leave a review. <laughs> that's, that's what that's what I'm aiming for. It's the most I could hope for today. Anyway, getting right into it. This is episode 27, Lies. Here you go. I freaking love it. We, I don't know what to talk about. What do you love, Russ? Um, lies. We're lies. talking about the lies. I don't love lies. The father of lies. That's one of the, the father of one of the lies. one of the words for Satan, right? As the, the father of lies. Daddy. So last last week we did a show on the truth. Why not do a show on lies? This Ooh. is uh, Arthur brought up uh, some great stuff. Had me thinking about this. I was thinking about this when we were talking about intimacy. Um, you were talking about John was. So we do it. We have a text a texting group um, via Facebook Messenger. We all kind of talk about stuff, ideas for the show, and. This this topic is is huge lies. Like I believed lies for a long time. I think that was part of my religious makeup. And some of those lies that I believed were were really got in. They got their hooks in me deep and affected my behavior. God loves you. He has a wonderful plan for your life. Like that one. (laughs) Did I say that out loud? I'm sorry. So would you define that as an idea of virus? That's not a lie. That's bitterness. An idea of virus. (laughs) (laughs) Is it bitterness because it's true? No, okay. (laughs) So Steve uh, threw out idea virus. Um, Maybe. An idea that's, that's pushed... You could get into like cultism too when it comes to you know just the basic. You get in a group of people that becomes your 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 folks, and you talk with them about deeper stuff. You're talking about spiritual matters, and a lot of spiritual matters are intellectual, right? Like how the cross is unpacked and stuff like that. So yeah, it, it, if it was an idea that got in my head that um, God loves the good people. I think I grew up like that. God rewards, you know, people for God, doing though. good. Santa or, rewards the good. Why exactly. Did you, why That's did you God take this, this super spiritual direction? This is not what we were talking about. Right? No, <laughs> this fucking Misha's sucks. here. Hello, <laughs> yeah. Misha. See that? We are not a misogynist circle jerk. Misha's here. <laughs> yeah, that'd be Just throwing that out there. She's our token woman. It proves it. There you go. So you guys She's also African American. <laughs> hey, I haven't done that DNA test. We don't know that for sure. She's probably related to Genghis Khan. Yes, probably. everybody is. Everyone is. <laughs> so, so Steve asked a question or okay. posed an idea. We're talking about lies, by the way. Talking, so. Last week was truth. This week is lies. Makes sense. You. You, you've been caught up. That's, Sounds good. That's about as far <laughs> as it So it'd be great to have a woman's perspective on that. What's you that? Have to inform her on what you know. You were no. Start again. Okay. <laughs> Rewind. Okay. Rewind. Reboot the show. Reboot the show. <laughs> okay. Sorry. So we were talking about: Is it okay to reveal the secrets of your past? You've been married twenty-five years. Your husband or you have an indiscretion at say two or three years into it. You keep it to yourself until you come to this aha moment when you're been into it. Is it okay then to share that secret? I have a clarifying question. When you say indiscretion, do you mean 
backing the minivan into a mailbox yeah. or bumping uglies with somebody who you're not married to. Toasting the hot dog in the wrong campfire. <laughs> okay. That's definitely not Just to clarify. No, I don't. Sorry. We're going to edit it. He did it well. Wouldn't the hot dog be moldy by now? <laughs> anyway, so 25 anyway well, it's just a hypo- it's a hypothetical it's a hypothetical. Yeah, hypothetical I think keeping that kind of thing that kind of lie it, it uh, it's sort of it's sort of like an idea virus I think that you've broke an intimacy thing feelings of guilt are interesting psychologically because there's a reason for them you know so I what what I said well, okay. To back it up from from, so we went all the way to like the mother of all things, which is like cheating on your spouse. Yeah, that's the. And big, I said, that's okay, a big okay, let, let, let's back this up. Big dark bat. and talk like, about it. Yeah, it's like this truth. Stepsister of all things. Okay, yeah. Like I, I killed someone, or right. I slept you know. with a hooker and killed her. That would be the okay. Anyway, <laughs> let's just stop. Spiraling. Yeah, let's just stop. I was gonna say I can go. Oh, work. I can yeah, go. right. I know. <laughs> I can go it's work. Like competition. But, okay, but, but that's like the common one. Let's put it that way. Okay. The, the mother of all common lies. Fair so, enough. So we're backing it up to just last week we talked about truth. Now we're talking about lies, and some people think that you should always be truthful. But there's all kinds of defense mechanism reasons why people lie. I mean, there's a reason why. Uh, morality uh, and ethics have dealt with lying for centuries, and that's because there's there's all kinds of reasons. You you can meet someone for the first time in a night and ask you a question you don't want to answer, mm-hmm. and we've all been in a situation where uh, you know you're in a peer environment where you might not know the people who are there very well, and they ask you a probing question, one that particularly haunts you about something in your past, and if you withhold the truth, not lie, but withhold the truth. Then that piques their interest, and they dig harder, and you know that could change the way they treat you. I mean, I'm thinking of like you know the junior high hazing kind of thing because we're kids, and that's when we learn to lie. Mm-hmm. Is when we get old enough to learn how to. Yeah, um, and that's when often humans are the most cruel. And junior so there, high school age about that. Yeah. Sure. And so there, there's a there's a there's a learned defense mechanism where you Misha's can say nodding. there's part of me that doesn't want to reveal who I am and lying actually deflects and makes everything easier because if I just simply say I don't want to answer that question, then everybody gets way more interested in the answer to that question. So I think than a deflecting lie. Right. And so we've all been there. We've like you would, give me it. an example. Like what like you were talking about earlier the uh, Lying to parents about sleeping over at someone's house, for example. I'm staying at Bob's. I'm not really staying at Bob's. We're going to go out all night, drink beer, and hang out in a graveyard. <laughs> right? I've done that, by the way. Sure, so, it so it's, it's a level... It doesn't even have to be that bad either. I don't mean to cut you off. Or, oh, go ahead. But it's... My parents are super strict. They don't want me hanging out with Tom because they... Believe Tom is a bad influence. He was on on the wrong side of the tracks. Meanwhile, I'm the one that's influencing Tom negatively, and I lie to hang out with him. I'm not drinking beers. I'm not, you know, doing anything. We're not getting in trouble. Right? Is it okay to lie to your parents? So I think the danger in this is getting into the land of scenarios. Yeah, you got too far. Is this and if this then that and then this and and I think cutting through that, can you just ask yourself, what do I want to lie? 
Yeah, right. well, we have Why the ability. To, we have the ability to justify. So the reason I was giving examples of my childhood about I lied to my parents all the time and my friends' parents all the time is because we both lived in very strict families that wouldn't let us do a lot of things. And so I used my job as an excuse to, that I was gone at my job, but I wasn't because I worked at a 24-hour diner, but I'd go to a party instead. And I'd lie. And, and when people talk about uh, infidelity with their spouse, they talk about, oh, well, you have to be honest, otherwise it's going to eat you up and, and because those lies go with you. And I'm like, depends on the person. Maybe they don't. Yeah, depends on the person. I mean, I don't know. I haven't cheated on my wife, so I can't tell you about that one. But what I can tell you is I told a whole bunch of lies to my parents, and they never ate me up. And what I said before we That's, hit the record button is I grew up in a culture where infidelity was tolerated and fairly common. But for me, in my conscience, I don't, you know, I don't think I could hold it. I just don't. Right. I think it would destroy me. But I grew up with, you know, where that was tolerated and common. And I don't think that the women, like, really had any illusions about what was going on. Not that it was confessed or talked about, but it was just kind of in the culture. It was in the water, so to speak. I think so. whether or not you lie about something like infidelity is is going to depend on um, what it's going to do to your relationship with that mm-hmm. person. Yeah. Because if... If it, you know, it's, it's weighing risk versus reward, right? Mm-hmm. Because if you if you lie, um, there's great risk there, um, but there's also potential for great reward in that you know you might not get found out. Versus if you tell the truth, there's also great risk, <coughs> but you're pretty there. There are only so many outcomes that can happen. Yeah. Well, we've talked before about, say, the the clergy person who is chronically jerking off, and they don't want to come out with that because their livelihoods attached to not their their livelihoods attached to that lie. Yeah. So I got a lot of emails like that. Like we caught so and so looking at porn, and he's a pastor or a youth leader or something like that. Should we fire this person? I'm like, no. <laughs> Like 75% of the guys in your church and your congregation are doing that. So to fire those guys just would send the wrong message. Like, just just be honest about it, I think, is is the best policy for me. So what do you say to the pushback that, what about First Timothy 3 and Titus 1, Russell? Well, he he's not qualified anymore. Or yeah. What about James 2? I think that and no one's qualified. If you're going to hold... You commit once and you commit them all. Yeah. And, and if you're going to hold Timothy, you, you, could, you could measure that against any clergy member and say they, they're all disqualified if you want to hold a hard line on that. I'm just asking what you'd say. Yeah. Right. So there was a day and age when people just didn't talk about this stuff. True. John's talking about a culture that accepts it where it's like, okay, it goes on, but nobody talks about it. Mm-hmm. Right. If, you, if you're aware it's going on, you don't talk about it. Like It's, that it's under, kind of a madman, 60s. Under, yeah, it's under yeah. the surface thing. Where, because that protects people from a lot of shame. I remember when I was uh, when I was a young not necessarily the perpetrator. I'm talking about like the, well, the, the wife of the person who's the guy who's out philandering. It's you the know, whole family. I mean, I'm, I'm living it right now because I turn the lights on to the bullshit that my, I'm dealing with with yeah. my family. Oh, yeah. And everyone is just still trying to turn the lights off. So I think I think yeah. the question you have to ask yourself, and it's going to be different for each person listening, is Am I the type of person that's okay with mediocre status quo? Or am I willing to roll the dice, burn this fucker to the ground, with the potential to rebuild this way, way better than it ever could have been? But also the potential that it'll just just get burned and go away. That's the question. And so what type of person are you? Are you 
can you not handle anything other than mediocre status quo? Right, like because that's sometimes not, you don't have the chance or the the opportunity. But aren't most people Some into self preservation? Isn't right. that the, yeah, the default true. human is, mode? Is self preservation? Yeah. Typically, self preservation. Yeah, yeah. Self preservation is the default mode of most people, <clears throat> right? Yeah. Then I would say that it's almost. Is it? Here's a question: Is it more honorable to not get caught and to confess it than to get caught and have to? Oh yeah, this is you know this is what I did. They both suck. Yeah, they both sound. Well, and, and then you've got the other side, which is, I think, a motivator where I think a lot of people make light of, but let's say um, you do have a scenario where uh, you misstep in your fidelity with your wife, and then you're concerned that the pain that you'll cause her. Mm-hmm. So it's like you have the choice of saying, I can carry this, or they can carry it. Mm-hmm. I can get it off my chest. And be selfish, so I don't feel guilty. Like I've done the right thing. I've been honest, but now you have to live with the results of what that does to the relationship. But I also think that anytime there's an affair or an indiscretion like that, and this is, it's not, it's not a hundred percent always true. But I think that when, when there's an affair, there's two people that are not connecting. Right? If somebody's going outside the marriage, why? is the big question. And again, like Chuck just said, there's usually something going on in the dark. Somebody flips the light on when the thing gets exposed or when somebody confesses. And then there's relational ground that can be made, like Derek was saying. But what I'm interested in is, is Misha, you're in the educational arts. So you're being a teacher, not to change the subject, but... Um, <laughs> people lie to teachers like people lie to cops, right? Badly, badly. <laughs> See, so there's some that are good and some that are bad. Like, do you ever get? Do you ever have some of those kids are like the Eddie Haskell guy who's just really good at lying? You know he's lying. Um, I'm really interested in that because I always lied to teachers. I'm, yeah, I'm generally not very good at picking up when someone's lying, um, mm-hmm. mostly because my outlook on life. I tend to look always assume that everybody is being good and honest and kind, right. um, which gets me into trouble. I I like my naivety, but I recognize. It for what it is, um, yeah. I, She's not naive about her naivety. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah. I think it's because teachers are are an authority figure, and you know, when you're a student, you don't see them as a person. You see them as an authority figure. So, like when my students would see me out at the grocery store or something, it really freaked them out. Yeah. So it's out of context um, because you know my authority figure is being a person, and that's weird. Um, like. If we had, you know, a personal relationship, um, I'd be able to tell if they were lying. But because okay. we're in a position of authority figure, student, it's, right. it's totally different. And you're just kind of like, just get the work done. If you didn't get yeah, the work right. done, you, whatever excuse works, right? It's right? a, it's a, you know, it's a responsibility thing. Yeah. Um, kids don't, you know, students don't always want to take ownership for it. And it's not just students. I mean, people don't want to take ownership when they've made a mistake or when they've uh, lapsed and are being called up in front of the judge. Like, right. you know, there there is an element of shame and there's a, oh, crap, I screwed up, but I don't want to admit to it because then I will be diminished in the eyes of this authority figure. And then, you know, our relationship will be such that they're just going to assume next time that I am the screw up, that I have been in this moment. Right. Yeah. So it's, it's taking on the identity um, that shame gives them that identity in the eyes of the authority figure. And that's... That's not a happy place to be 
Right. It's interesting that that word authority figure. I remember seeing a teacher out in the world, like you know, during summer or something like that. I saw Mr. Fox working at J.C. Penney, like Whoa. selling shoes, and I'm like, oh my god, <laughs> like he's an actual person. Exactly. He's looking in the catching a glimpse in the teacher's lounge. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I worked for my science teacher in my grade during the summer. What did he do? Ran detasseling crews. Oh, uh, what is that? (laughs) (laughs) Google it, Russ. For those who don't know, ripping the tops off corn. But I I can also speak. I can also speak to the the um, the infidelity issue from the perspective of being a child, um, being the child of parents who were in that situation. Um, My my dad was chronically ill from the time he was eight years old on. Um, my mom married him knowing that he was ill. He had Crohn's disease and a oh. whole host of other autoimmune disorders. Um, and, you know, she, she made the whole um, in sickness and in health thing. But when my dad's sickness became not just physical sickness, but mental illness as well as he struggled with depression, it was really, really hard on my mom. And their marriage really fell apart. Um, and she did end up um, in, a, in an affair uh, with a wonderful guy who she's married to, they have a great relationship. Um, it sucked that that's how it started out, but and she was in this relationship for quite a while um, before somehow my dad found out. And I'm still not clear on the details of that, and I don't really care or need to know. Um, but when it came to light, she fessed up. Like she didn't try to hide it. She said, "We'd been hoping to put this off until after both of the kids were done with high school, and we could have gone our separate ways." But that's just not how it shook down. So, wow. yeah, and it was like, it was kind of like the floor dropped out from underneath me, and I'm scrambling how old to were hold you? on to something. I was 18. Okay. Um, yeah, it was my senior year of high school. It was like a week before prom. Um, wow. So I was pretty self-absorbed and didn't really notice that <laughs> everything was going as terribly as it was for my parents. But um, but yeah, it was it was interesting to me that my mom was prepared to continue in the infidelity and continue to not... Well, yeah, it, I mean, it was a lie because people would ask, how are things going? And she would say, oh, fine, right. that's a lie. Um and she was. She had this plan for how she was going to live out this lie, for literally years. Right. Um, and then she got called out. Yeah. I think arguably that infidelity and the lying is two different conversations. Almost. I mean, they 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 coincide and overlap for sure. But the, the infidelity has so many interesting layers to it. I mean, you know, we've even touched on it here before. Where if you get married within a certain religious construct, maybe you get married in your early twenties, and Steve just mentioned it, like you say those vows to someone, you don't know what the fuck you're saying, you don't know what you're committing to, you're going to change in five years, ten years, twenty years, and then all of a sudden maybe you're the kind of person, like a lot of us here at this table, who deconstructed the faith thing, and then all of a sudden it's that's not the glue that was holding you that's holding you together anymore. Arthur can definitely speak to that. It's like you know, oh gosh, uh, the, the the Jesus Church thing isn't the glue that's holding us together. Now what is? Is yeah. our love for each other enough? Yeah. And then if you tack on the fact that we're highly evolved primates, there aren't we're not naturally we haven't naturally evolved to be monogamous. Let's just be really honest about it. We haven't. And so an indiscretion happens when the relationship's strained, and it it's like you're gonna. 
judge someone for it. And keep in mind, I would because I'm saying right. it. But, but, but <laughs> no, no, right? But, but right. There, there's two different parts of, of you know. You, you can separate yourself from your personal feelings and have a conversation about it. But you can just just rationally say that yeah, we are not really meant to be monogamous. I mean, just naturally speaking, I think that we have a like maybe a bent toward pair bonding and being with one person. I think we've evolved maybe that way, like on a, well, you're a biology teacher, you can speak to this, but, but like on a, like on a, maybe a more micro level, we've, we've evolved to that point, but still we crave novelty. We crave variety. That's the way we've evolved. So are you going to dog someone for that? And I'm just talking out loud. I'm just saying that out there, but I think when it comes to the marriage thing, and whether you tell them or you don't, it depends on what you are getting out of your marriage and what you want your marriage to be. Like, if you're in a marriage where, like, it's, you know, you kind of work together to make this life work, you're not really interested in who they are as a person at a deep level, just kind of, you know, almost, you know, roommates that have sex every once in a while and... You know, and have this life that they've kind of built, but there's not really a right. deep level of intimacy. Um, maybe you don't want to, uh, be, because you know, if the other person has that expectation too, like, like it's going to throw a big wrench in that. But if you're in a relationship because you want to have someone that you're close to that knows you better than anybody else on the planet knows you, yeah. and you want to invest in that yeah. and dig deeper and deeper and deeper into that, uh, which is I mean, it's worth fighting for. Yeah, so it depends on you know, would you rather be comfortable yeah. and and fairly mediocre in your relationship, or do you want to take the gloves off and go really deep with the risk that? And also, you have to be aware, like you can't just jump into that relationship now and go, oh, I want to be super deep now. Like it takes that other person too, right? Like that other your spouse may not want to be deep and may not be able to handle being deep. Right. So it, it's not one of those things where you get to choose I don't want how no. deep. So there's I've two, heard that. There's two kind of concepts I think that are interesting to explore in that because I think it was John that was mentioning maybe that there's a difference between fidelity and lying. <laughs> you know, but we have, this, we have this interesting phrase that we use a lot of times now living a lie mm. yeah so and then there's the other concept of of like within a relationship as, as like a marriage you also have the concept of a lie of omission mm. where there's like <laughs> this like there's this agreed upon belief where if you know something not saying something is equivalent to lying yeah right. um as if you have some responsibility like you are a you know mandated reporter for the government to, you know, report abuse or whatever. Um, but that idea of living a lie rings really true with me because it came a point when, like, when my faith fell apart, I just, when I realized that it didn't have it anymore, I didn't want to live that way anymore. Like, it felt right. wrong to do that. I, I, some people pretend, I mean, and, I, and, I, and I've read a lot about it by people who, uh, especially historically in the United States, it was very uh, beneficial to live as a person of faith, right. yeah. whether you were or not, um, I think that that, that stigma uh, of of not is uh, being attached to some sort of faith is going away. Um, but for a long time, that's what people did. They they pretended they went, and I think a lot of people still do. I think it, it works. It it keeps them in their marriage. It keeps them in their family relationships. Well, church is an excellent networking tool. That too, um, 
business and, yeah, well, uh, that's, and, that's and social, you know, I mean, you know, you with your, maybe you really enjoy, you know, your church softball league, I don't know. Well, what Misha described, I, I didn't know that was part of your story for with your parents, but I've seen that play out a lot in my life with friends, parents, or whatever. It's the empty nester thing. Like, oh, the kids are out of the house. Let's, uh, yeah, see ya. <laughs> I'm doing my own thing now. That was That's really super common. Right. Is it's the kids that keeps people together, and then the kids are gone. And It's actually super common that it falls apart before they make it across the finish line. <laughs> that, that's it. <laughs> like, they stay together a long time before that, and it doesn't work out. Well, and, and, and then, like, you know, I was thinking of Louis C.K. has this bit about divorce. You know, it's pretty funny. I'm probably going to botch it if I try to talk about it too much, but like, you know, oh, I'm sorry that you're getting divorced. Like, you know, why? It's like anyone that's getting a divorce, they're doing it for a reason. You know, it's yeah. it's a good thing in their eyes. It's, you know. Depending on which side of the divorce they're on. Uh, yeah. Fair enough. Yeah. <laughs> fair enough. So I'll, I'll address this because this hits close to home with me and my family because I, I did this. I lied um, for many years. I was an adulterer. Um, the other podcast I do, I don't know, my family or anybody's listening, but <laughs> probably not this far in. ASI247. Um, so, yeah, I do. If you Google, or not Google, if you go on iTunes and you put in sex addiction, usually my podcast is on the top of the list. So it's my my claim to fame is something that keeps my ego in check because I don't like to talk about it. <laughs> um but Though you spent years doing so. <laughs> Though I spent years on doing so. Yeah, 12 years. Publicly. But that, was, but that podcast is not something that I'm like a- advertising on Facebook. <laughs> right? Like, come listen to my podcast. What's it about? Um, but, th- you know, this was really, really difficult for me. And I actually, my first sex addiction counselor, and that's something cool about the behavioral science today is there's a lot of psychologists today that are saying, stop calling it sex addiction and start calling it intimacy disorder, which is interesting. But anyhow, my first sex addiction counselor told me to take this shit to my grave. Don't don't tell her. It's just going to cause a bunch of problems. You can tell me. You're confessing this to me. You know, you could feel good about that. We could talk about it here. But don't don't you bust up your family. And then he told me his story about how he busted up him and his wife got divorced. And it's sort of like, you know, and this guy was a Christian guy, very evangelical, went to a big church in Kirkland. And anyway, and was, I, was this I a real could go counselor? on about that. What, was this a real he was counselor? a real counselor. He didn't stay in business very long <laughs> <laughs> because he probably got sued. Like, there's lawsuit shit coming down on someone like that. Like, if somebody's out there, like me, in the compulsive state that I was in, um, seeing prostitutes, it was really bad. And if you're doing that and taking that home, and then this guy saying, oh, just just don't tell anybody about it. That can cause some, I, I laugh, but it's, it, it can cause some real problems, right? Like you end up, I've talked to guys over the years who, like that's how they got busted was their wife got a venereal disease. Uh, <coughs> so depending on the compulsion level of this, yeah, it's, it's important to, to be honest about it. Because you can, you know, you, you're not just damaging your own body, but you could be damaging hers as well. And, and condoms, for what they are, aren't 100% effective. They do break. Uh, They're also not really that fun. So, no. Yeah, so, no. So flip the scale. If all the things you want to know if your wife was in your <laughs> yes. position. As painful as it is, I'd want to know. I would. Because I'd know that, that what the relationship is right. or isn't. 
How about you guys? Would you want to know? Yeah. Yes. As a wife, yeah. yes, I would want to know because um, Derek and I have a really good marriage. We have a good friendship and a good relationship. Um, and I've always said from the very beginning, we're on the same team no matter what. So if something is bad enough that yeah. he feels like he has to confess to me or I feel like I have to confess to him, um, like we should be, it, it's, he would be the first person I would tell if something was so bad that I needed to tell someone. Which is intimacy. Yeah. yeah. So on the flip side of this, uh, many of us coming from the backgrounds we did, this is a little foreign, but my wife and I have new friends that we've made in the last year who are completely open and honest on the other direction where they have an open marriage. And they have... They invite you guys over. Hey, <laughs> <laughs> we got the hot tub going. Did make the relationship a little bit weird. I'm like, I don't know how many people they have relationships with where it doesn't escalate. Um, I don't know what the expectation is on that. And yeah, this is one of those things. You meet somebody who's poly or something like that, and you're like, oh, well, wait, wait. are we gonna hang out as a couple? Like, I don't know. Is that polyamorous <laughs> culture just being? And I'm just talking out loud. Is are, are they? And I'm I'm not. That's not the way I'm, I'm wired. Um, You're trying to hedge. Well, <laughs> this is going to be ugly. I'm asking the question though. Like, it, are, are they just simply acknowledging what I was talking about earlier? Where this is sort of human nature. So let's just work with it. I've met a lot of passengers who who have talked to me about polyamory. And that, like that's a big thing in Seattle, the young sure. culture today. Um, I had a guy and a gal in the car. This was a weird ride because I pick up the guy first, and it was like a, a line ride, so it's like a pool ride, right? So we pick up the next person, and he's like, "Oh, I think I know her. Like she's a she's my my wife's sister." And so they get in the car. He was also in a punk band that was called My Parents, which I thought was an awesome punk band name. So, <laughs> he's listening. But they were talking about being like, oh, we're Polly. She moved to New York to go to school, and he's still here. And and she's like, and she says, yeah, I'm, I'm Polly too. So then that made me curious, as they were kind of talking to me. I go, well, well, isn't that weird? Like, I don't know if I could be with my wife just going, flying to some other city and, and banging other dudes. Like, I don't know if I'd be cool with that. I don't know how you guys can do that. But their response was really interesting, and they said, well, people have affairs, and people get bored in marriages, and isn't that the same thing? At least we're honest about There's it. There's some truth to that. Yeah. There's some truth to that. But still, is, I don't know. But I'm the, not saying it's I the think that there's a flip side, too, which is I think a lot of people move away from that just solely out of their own insecurity. Like, the idea that someone's committed to, to them feeds their insecurity that I'm worth something, and if I can't have someone's whole attention, that I'm not worth something. And I think there's... There, for, that to, for that to work on the other side, I'm assuming, because uh, I don't live that life, but I'm assuming that you have to have enough trust and enjoy the relationship with your partner enough that you're willing to let them go and assume they're going to fly home to the nest that you have built with them. Um, and when they do that, that, that seems to build a lot of trust, too. And I think a lot of people are averse to it because they're afraid of losing that trust. And there's a lot of insecurity in that. Yeah. So I think that takes a lot of strength to have a strong relationship and maintain that. I don't know what the long-term studies show on how successful those relationships are. 
My therapist says but then again, they, they aren't very successful. Like, but, yeah. She would say, but, but, but either are like, you know right? <laughs> so I think that... Yeah, but yeah. The question true. is, so there's there's two sides to that. Like, well, I think as we're, we're all pointing out, there's many different sides to this. Um, the, the other side of that would be, like, are you hedging yourself too early? Like, are you making the assumption that I can't make this work? And under a, a ideal, which may not, you know, which is a very difficult ideal, but is there some part part of of also, you know, running the risk of selling yourself short? Um, you know, I'm a young person. How do I know this won't the, yeah. that this won't work? And 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 I get both sides. I get trying to hedge to protect yourself, uh, and I get the damage that you get. You know, probably a lot of these kids have parents whose marriages were a complete disaster right. and, I, and I totally get the trauma in that and wanting to, to protect yourself from that and rebel against right. it uh, but also uh, and, not, and not even saying that there's anything messed up with, with these people um, just saying like uh, have they worked all the way through the process that they might be giving up an, on an ideal early yeah. So the, that's the other question is what makes that ideal? So, you know, we all come from this Judeo-Christian background that says that marriage is defined by uh, this person you commit to only having sex with. Like, that's the definition of marriage. Unless you're and, King Solomon. And, and, yeah, but then, then on the other side, you've <laughs> got David. people who are basically like, my marriage and my sex life are not intrinsically related. Just like I go have beers with you guys, I go have beers with my wife sometimes. You know, we took a whole trip that revolved around having beers together. Right. So, um, so while it's foreign to me from the way that I grew up, it's possible for me to think like, okay, I can engage the world in a way that my marriage is a relationship that's based on a relationship and it's not primarily revolved around the commitment of only having sex with each other. And that was my question to these these young folks that were in my car, and that's kind of how that ride ended. Was um, she got out first, and then I drove him up to, to a different destination. You get pretty deep as a ride share driver. <laughs> I know, right? Because I was, I'm a curious boy, right? I just start means like I start asking you questions. Have when your Uber driver won't shut the fuck up, <laughs> they do. They Ross must be hated. <laughs> no. No, I have a good rating, so I, I must be doing something right because I'm like a 4.9, just to throw just that out. Interesting, there. I guess, but a lot of Uber drivers are <laughs> right. Um, so when when he was getting out, I so I went into sexual compulsive behavior. So I said, okay, what's the difference between this? Because th- then we get into the relational aspect of what sex is for, and if let's say you have a, a bigger appetite to use that word than she does. And then, you know, there's a whole soup of stuff going on here. Because if you're, if you're compulsively having sex with different partners, you realize that that's not super healthy, right? Like just at a biological level. I mean, there's a thing called hepatitis, which is a lot more scary today than AIDS. Um, so, yeah, I'm throwing the STD thing out there. But it is obviously a thing. And if someone, again, if someone's sleeping around a lot, like there's something else going on under the surface than besides just oh we're just open marriage, but I again I have questions like why <laughs> I don't know. I mean, it's easier. How much of that is your is is your Christian construct though? Yeah, I'm, I'm I'll, hey, I'll I'll throw that out there. I think that that's part of it and part of my faith. We could talk about another thing. Is like Arthur was talking about 
losing your faith. I think there's a difference between big F faith and small F faith. I lost my small F faith a long time ago. I just hit the freaking flush button on that. But I think big F faith is when you start to see what works for you and what's true, you know. And so I guess when, when we get into these relational aspects, you know, Jesus saying, I am the truth and the life, follow me. What does that mean? You know, we can get into those kind of conversations because that's, that's again, what we're, what we're after in these things. Mm-hmm. Well, and to be clear, in my understanding of, say, for instance, the open relationship of the friends that my wife and I have, right. their relationship and, and the relationships that they have had in the past with other people varies greatly from yours. And I do not think they would espouse your experience. Right. Um, and part of what that means for them is that they are open with each other about the relationships that they're having right. with other people together or separately. This sounds like a lot of work. <laughs> yeah, man. And when, I started, when I started unpacking, uh, when I told my wife, because I didn't get caught with the affairs, I actually told her, um, it was me going into my, my sexual assault as a kid. It was me unpacking all of my addictions because it started with alcoholism and then it went to crack cocaine and methamphetamine. And then the right Christian God had saved me from my chemical romances, but I had this porn habit that ended up turning into um, seeing prostitutes and and those kinds of things. So, so yeah, man, it was... It was confessing the fact that my relationship with shame went so freaking deep that I had to lie to everybody about everything. I was my whole life was this surface. Here's here's me up here on the surface. I don't really know who the fuck I was down on here. I was this, you know, just trying to survive at some weird emotional level, just trying to get love in little tiny scraps, like a like a dog digging around under a dinner table for for some kind of value for myself and when I started to unpack that I, I had to tell my wife I just had to tell her like this is me this is what happened to me and I'm sorry but this is who you're married to and and then I gave her the choice of staying in with me and she has and you know we're still working through this stuff you know this was this was over 10 years ago it was 12 years ago that I that I talked 11 years ago that I uh yeah, let the bomb go off. I use that metaphor because that's what it's like. Um, and anybody who's going to do this, here's another piece of advice for what it's worth. Don't do it alone. Like, bring someone in you trust. It's like a bomb squad. You know, the police, you know, they show up. Somebody, there's a bag laying there and it's ticking or something. They bring in a squad of people to contain the blast. And I think that... that your mental health, your well-being, when you can have people you trust around you to help contain that blast, that's like gold. Wait, are we, are we counseling people to like tell their spouses they're cheating? Is that what this episode no. is like? No, if they are. <laughs> but if they do. If they do. You're being awfully prescriptive. All right. Well, it's, it worked for me. But my story's not everybody's story. It's really different. I, well, I mean, every situation's going to be different because people are, are different relationships. Yeah, exactly. But, um, but I think... In one case, it could be easier in a way to be caught in the lie and then have to confess the lie than it would be to, of your own volition, come forward and say, hey, I've been lying to you. Because if you do that, not only do you confess the lie, you know, do you, not only do you say, I've been lying to you, but you're also saying to that person, I didn't trust you with the truth. 
like mm, until yeah. now yeah. and for whatever reason you know my guilt my shame whatever has escalated to the point where I can't carry it anymore and now I have to come clean um, so I, I am going to trust you with the truth and so that's 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 hard um, yeah. especially something that you know you like with my parents have been going on for a really long time um, and granted my mom did get caught like she didn't come out and, and confess but um, yeah she had to I didn't. I didn't think that you could handle this until now, and now you have to. So. Right. I think something that's really common too is when people do confess, they've been so focused on the event that they have no plans for anything afterwards. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And then they feel like, "Hey, I'm the good guy. Look at me. I told the truth. I told the I truth. Gold yeah. yeah. Right. Star. Right. Yeah. And, they're, and they're trying to they're trying to get that validation from their spouse. It's like, no, 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 no. Like, you just dropped a fucking bomb. You get to sit there and shut the fuck up. <laughs> That's right. And let her work. I had that. him look work through his shit for right. a while. Yeah. A while. How long were you cheating? Okay, give them that much time on the other end because uh, you just. Two. My <laughs> pastor friend Rick. Sat Chuck, me down Chuck, and Chuck had that it. very. So Chuck has that very thing. Talk. Yeah, if I mean, if you have to pick between confessing after or before you were caught, it's definitely for me. It was. It would have been better if she, if Melissa would have told me. Right. Mm-hmm. So you were on the receiving end of yeah, this so conversation. <laughs> well, I still don't really even know. I think it was closer to a year <clears throat> before I found out, and it would have been. No, it was hard. It would be hard either way. Yeah. Um, but it was devastating to go through her phone and read all these text messages, and then confront her with it. And all she has to do it. All she says is yes. So what? Can I ask a personal know. question? What? Can I ask a personal question? Yeah. You, you can edit this out if he doesn't want it or whatever. Is it? <laughs> well, that's no, not is, Chuck style. It, no, is I don't it, know. Is it, I would. Yes, absolutely. Is it different? When the infidelity is with, um, yeah, with Saint, with, with like with a, a woman, woman? Yeah. Like, like, yeah, like 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 your wife is 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 cheating on you with another woman. Is is that different? Oh yeah, definitely. And I don't think well, it would be. Melissa never, well, not that I know, that she cheated on me with another man. But it's <clears throat> if it's with another man, it's easy to understand where she's from. Whether it's I'm not good enough in bed. I'm not skinny enough. Uh, my manhood isn't because you can bring yourself to another man. Yes, but when you can bring yourself well, to another compare, woman, I don't. I can't compete. It's like, oh, well, that's it. You know, I don't know. right? Yeah, the they think different. They act different. They have yeah, different parts. They. I feel like that's what I presented different. my wife with when I said I walked away from the faith when our entire marriage <clears throat> was based on that in the first place. <clears throat> Basically, I said, "Hey, look, I'm somebody you didn't marry before. Now, yeah, right. yeah. I'm a different man." But that's honest. And, and whatever, that's honest. She's cheating on the fundamentalist right, you. But, <laughs> like, so is coming out as gay. Like, I think every every gay, marriage right? that's, that's lasted the test of time, you're not going to be the same person. Yeah. But that's not what makes it fun. I'm though. totally the different. I'm different than we. Not got always. Married. No, sometimes that just makes it it's, bad. It's, it's polyamory with it's the same person. With the same person. <laughs> she's got a different body. She's looked different. She's changed. Yeah, she's yeah, gone through different, uh, Absolutely. You know, I, I don't you know. Yeah, but it is. See, the other model we haven't talked about it because it's not <laughs> it's not popular today. But the best-selling book of all time has a ton of it. Is the Bible? Polygamy. Yeah, polygamy. Oh, well, that's that always makes me laugh. Like biblical marriage, it's like it's hilarious. You know, it's yeah. like just rot with polygamy and infidelity. All right. I mean, and I remember growing up thinking those guys were fucking crazy. Yeah, <laughs> I, mean, I can barely handle one woman at a time. Yeah. Five I don't need three or four. Oh. 
Yeah, exactly. <laughs> <laughs> uh, but I, I was curious about that because what you're saying makes sense. It's like, you know, if it's another man, I would compare myself to another man. But if it's a woman, like I, I had a, I used to, when, you know, I was younger, I hung out with this, with this bisexual girl and she was kind of into women at the time. And I was asking her some questions about it, just really curious. And she goes, well, you like women, right? Yeah. You like lips, uh, tits, hips? Yeah. Well, what makes you think it's any different for me? Like, I can't argue with that. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> like, like, you're absolutely right. You well, know? And, and not only that, but our culture is designed to elevate the female physical form. And yeah, exactly. I mean, if you look at if you look at what's sexy, ninety percent of what's out there is female form. It's not well. Male dicks aren't form. sexy. Dicks aren't sexy. No. I just heard this podcast talking about dicks. Like, exactly. It's so they're crass. not. They're like, not. But you know, the, you know, the female form is beautiful. Yes. And, yeah. and um, you know, whether you're a man or a woman, you can appreciate the female form and. And then, you know, if you're an easily persuaded person, it's easy to think that, you know, maybe I should be attracted to this because everybody in our culture says that this is what's attractive. Yeah. Um, no, the, the ideal is a woman who's anorexic for six months. The ideal man is someone who's been bodybuilding for five years. <laughs> yeah. No, dude, dad bod. I got dad bod. I'm the ideal dad man. <laughs> Middle aged. Worked hard for that. Dad bod. <laughs> That's funny. Yeah. Yeah. It's, it's. I mean, seriously though, ideal men are like ridiculous. Well, what, I, I don't. I, I guess I don't know what that means. I think. Of, I think ideal men are just gay, right? Like, isn't that kind of what, like the the typical gay man? Uh, no, they're, they're, no, 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 is, no. The ideal is, man isn't gay. He's into himself. He goes to the gym and he lifts out a bunch and looks in a mirror. Oh, no, no. Misha, wait, stop. Misha, what's Thank the you. ideal man? No. And don't tell me Derek. <laughs> I'm not saying... I'm not saying <laughs> you know that's going to be my answer. Yeah. Um, <laughs> I'm, I'm saying what's projected out there. I'm saying, you know, in, in, in media is the guy who's ripped six-pack. He spent years, you know, putting on 60 pounds of pure muscle and has half a percent body. That's not what most musicians Chris Pratt, right? What? Chris Pratt. Yeah, sure. That, he's a handsome guy. Sure. Anyway, Misha. Was I like, like Parks and Rec. I like Fat Season Pratt one better. of Parks and Recreation. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, no, no, I like Fat Pratt better. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Um, I think the ideal man is what the majority of the people who are sitting at this table look for and what the majority of the people who are listening look for, and that's... The ideal man is a person who wants to have a relationship with you, who wants that deep mm. friendship, who wants to really get to know who you are as a person, appreciate who you are as a person, and will reciprocate, wants to be known, wants to be loved, wants to be in deep relationship. I think I think that's actually the ideal man. Um, and, and good hygiene, maybe. Uh, so then. As a bonus. <laughs> as a bonus, yeah. The human can get used to any smell, okay? <laughs> Fair <Like, it's> just, <laughs> Again, chicks really dig musicians, and they're not the most hygienic. <laughs> it's true. No. They don't always know that that's, from the album cover. That's, that's, that's a stereotype. That's a stereotype, right? Musicians driving nuts. But. I don't know about ideals, because everyone has something different that that's they true. like or whatever, but... Um, yeah. But but it's just it's just an interesting conversation like how that all plays out and what that all looks like and then it's as we're engaging it I mean the question keeps coming up in, in my mind even as you're talking Russ is is how much of of anything we talk about is from that that narrative of of Christianity and and this is what it's supposed to be probably yeah. a lot of it probably, probably a lot of it and it's not just us it's also culture yeah like ninety percent or whatever seventy I don't know. It's becoming we're postmodern now, but still, I mean the the way I, I was talking with a friend about this, and he was like, "I'm just sick of talking about 
the Christian bullshit. And I said, I get that, but that's still a lot of people's worldview. And that's still where they, when they're going to tell you their story, it's going to come through the lenses of, you know, Jesus loves me, um, this little light of mine, i got to let it shine, right? Like, there's, there's a lot of that in culture. There's a lot of people that believe that to the core. Well, let's let, let's maybe take it a, another direction with a different question. Where we're, you know, you're talking about a, a certain level of depth or, or of intimacy. What if you're going into just unmet needs, and you know your spouse isn't available or there? Maybe they're ill, or there's yeah. some kind of you know we're talking about someone um, who, who you and Chuck know who is uh, paralyzed. You know that person might not be available for their spouse in certain ways. Maybe they were used to before. I. And then does that change it? I'm just throwing that out there, right. talking out loud. Because I think it's real to say that people have certain needs, and if those needs aren't being met, are you going to go somewhere to get it? And if you do, should you be judged harshly for it? I'm right. Should, should you be judged harshly for it? No. However, the the way I look at it, though, is just the selfless. So it's you, regardless of your religious background, you made a commitment. To somebody, for sickness and health, for better or for worse. So you start off your marriage, and why? Why did you make the commitment? Because yeah. you chose to make it. What was it within but, a religious but, construct? But why did you make the commitment? Why did I make the commitment? No, why, why, does it, why does anybody? I think it's totally never. It's, it's presented to you as this is what you do. That's why. Well, that's maybe one of the reasons. There's lots of reasons behind that one. Yeah. I don't know. Do you think he's onto something? What well, I'm saying is, he's onto most... a something. <laughs> <laughs> a something. Yes. It is a cultural construct. It is. Sure. It's, yeah, but you I can't mean, say that's the reason. I'm not invalidating it for that reason. But, but it, it kind of is. We, you, you, everybody in our culture of... gets brought up as gets brought up saying this is what marriage is. It's and there's very few alternatives to what that is. Well, not anymore. I personally have never now understood. Are. I I've never understood. I I've always kind of thought of marriage as primarily a religious institution. I know it's both a religious and a civil one, but I've always thought of it as more a religious institution. I never really got why you'd want to get married if you were a secular person. But it's a worldwide phenomenon. Like like every religion, but people have every a, culture, and we've only had choice of who we marry for. Only so long. I think cohabitation is more common in Scandinavian countries that are more secularized, for example. Now. Now. Right now. I'm like talking Seattle. about like, where we <laughs> came from. Yeah. yeah. 60, 70 years ago. People also didn't choose who they married right. not that long ago. There's some merits to that, by the way. <laughs> like, the arranged marriages. I mean, just, yeah. I, I you don't, well, <laughs> the great part about that is you don't expect much out of it. <laughs> you expect the world when you get to choose, and then you don't get the world. Yeah, and you're disappointed. But like friends, do you think every friend you make is going to be permanent your whole life? No. If you're lucky, maybe. Yeah. Oh well, we're still going to be doing this show until our nineties. <laughs> friends, <laughs> with friends forever. We might have two hundred subscribers. That's right. That's right. You'll be able to download it straight into your freaking brain. The second time John has pulled that out on me. Well, you, um, so, are you okay with me talking about our yep. status? So Misha's had a lot of health problems recently, uh, and then and uh, and so this has been an issue with us. And in general, I have a higher, much higher libido than she does. Um, and and then recently, she's had a lot more health issues, uh, which sucks because that's no fun uh, from 
yeah, just from a practical day-to-day thing. Uh, but then there's also just the fact that we can't have sex very often. Um, and so we've kind of, and we struggled for a really long time. You know, I, I had the I struggle with porn thing for 17 years uh, type of thing. And, uh, and, and so we kind of came to a place where I we just made a pragmatic decision. So I just, I look, I have, I've decided to look at pornography. I've decided to bind it within some rules uh, for myself that I've self-imposed. Um, and uh, and it just takes the edge off of that, and that I've decided that's where I'm going to draw the line. Because it was doing pretty awful things for our relationship, because mm-hmm. I had a whole bunch of expectation, and I was getting very frustrated, and it was leaking out all over the place. Uh, and she had a whole bunch of guilt and a whole bunch of shame and a whole bunch of Burn. obligation. Yeah. Um, and uh, it's been a lot better. Yeah. So it's not ideal. Right. right? It goes back to that ideal thing. Like, yeah, that's mm-hmm. not... That's not... Uh, yeah, that's not necessarily... I can imagine better in my head, right? Right. But it's been pretty made pretty clear that that's that reality's not going to exist and it's not anybody's fault it's just that life fucking sucks sometimes and you make lemonade out of lemons yeah. uh, and so I make a lot of lemonade oh <laughs> shit oh. <laughs> <laughs> uh, to lighten the uh, room a little bit <laughs> so and Misha did you want to well, and, and none of this, I mean, none of this came as a surprise. There was no, like, need for compassion, uh, confession or contrition or, or anything. It was a, it was a, I don't know, something we came to together, like, and, and, you know, we both came out of the Marcel anti-porn, like, <coughs> if you're doing this, then your marriage is in really deep trouble. Right. And so purity we both had to, yeah, we both had to really come out of that purity mode, like, no, actually, this is, this is something that's going to help, um... I don't know, level the playing field for us, I guess, a little bit. And it's, and like, the last thing I want is for him to feel shame about his sexual needs and his sexual desires. Because that's not fair. That's not something that, like, he can control. Or, like, you know, if I just pray hard enough, then I'll, I'll be less of a sexual being that God made me to be. And, and same thing for me, like... You know, I, I wish that we were equally yoked, but we're not in that regard. Um, and that's not a bondage joke, so. <laughs> right. <laughs> that's something my wife and I went through. So w- dealing with my own um, compulsions, I went seven years without doing pornography, masturbating, any of that stuff. Uh, but also I was in, you know, having regular sexual intercourse with my wife which made it a lot easier Uh, but when that faded and we started getting into relational problems I I did view pornography what was weird for me is I spent so much time demonizing it that it just didn't do much for me anymore Mm. and I don't know if that was shame that had attached itself to it but when I looked at it it was sort of like it used to get me really aroused and then it was like oh shit this is just other people having sex. Like I'm just watching other people having sex, and it w- and that pr- kind of fucking scared me and, and sent me into a bit of a, a depression, even. Um, but yeah, I you know masturbate <laughs> now. I'm 
I don't like that I do it. I'd rather not. That's one of the biggest things that was one of the biggest epiphany kind of aha moments for me was a one of my one of my counselors said, Russ, if you don't have an orgasm, you're not going to die. I'm like, really? Like, <laughs> is that true? Yeah, I, but I'm going to feel like I'm going to die, and that's worse. Right, right. <laughs> and it depends on the compulsion too. I mean, there's a lot of variables to this. So I'll be alive and just yeah, 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 yeah. Fuck. Exactly. So, so yeah, there's just a lot of different variables going on, and and I think the shame, shame is what really kills people. Shame is what gets into our our spirit and and drives us nuts. I think that a lot of people that hit the eject button on on small f faith, I would say, is like they're just being tired of being driven crazy by the purity movement or their pastor or you know stuff like that. So yeah, and I think the purity movement was really damaging. For, yeah, I grew for up us. in that. No, yeah. um, and so like for me, for example. Um, like, I, I did the whole Pledge of Purity thing when I was, like, 16 or whatever in high school. And then um, and then when my long-term boyfriend uh, left me um, because he found a girl who would sleep with him, <laughs> like, his first week of college. Yeah, that sucked. Um, and I, I, at that so point, I, I'd already walked away from Christianity, and that was, like, the last thing I was holding on to was this relationship with this person and our purity and whatever. And then when that fell apart, I was like, you know what, screw it, literally. And I decided, you know, why am I doing this? Like, I'm, I'm created as a sexual being. Why am, why am I waiting until marriage? And honestly, in <coughs> retrospect, I really wish I had because it has, you know, carry, it's created some baggage that I've had to carry with me. Wait, I'm um, sorry, in retrospect, you wish you what? Had waited in, until marriage. You do, really? Sex, yeah. See, I don't feel that way at all. Oh, I do. I think... Part of it is just... Uh, I'm supposed to feel that thing. way. I'm supposed to feel that way, but, well, I, but I, I don't. I had a really... Um, no, seriously. I had a really... From a Christian... Damaged perspective of sex and what it is in a relationship. And because, you know, I was in relationships... And I was, I was a serial monogamous, so it wasn't like I was, mm-hmm. you know, sleeping around. It was always just one person at a time and only somebody with whom I was seriously committed. Um, and... Uh, but at the same time, I did use sex as, like, leverage. And so when we got married, so what I mean by leverage is, like, enticing someone to stay in the relationship. Sure. Like, always giving them something to look forward to, that sort of thing. And then when I got married, like, here we have this covenant, we have this contract, we have sworn vows. Like, sex isn't required to keep him now because he's already promised he'll be here. No matter what. You right. Uh huh. Yeah. <laughs> um, yeah. So there's there's that that purity thing, and there is also, I mean, the the purity movement also gave you really weird views on sex. It was, was either so like this high great thing to look forward to, but also the most <laughs> disgusting base thing you could ever do <laughs> yeah. with the person you love, who you're committed to, yeah. and it's horrible and foul and disgusting. And you know, wait till marriage to put that on someone. I just right. I just had a conversation with one of my best friends, and he he's divorced twice now. He's had two marriages, and he said every time he's had sex with both of his wives, every time he felt horribly guilty. Mm. about having sex with his wife just because of that evangelical indoctrination that purity culture right. and that shame he couldn't detach from it once he could once it was okay <laughs> now okay, you can, now you can eat the forbidden fruit but you've been so conditioned that it's bad and evil and wicked that you feel shame when you when you consummate it or something right yes. forbidden fruit tastes like fish what am I one of my biggest problems with sex ed um, the way it's taught in the schools the way it's 
air quotes, taught in the church, we um, taught in Christian faith, is that it doesn't address the emotional elements of it. I mean, okay. sex ed, and especially in the public schools, is just the physical mechanics of it, the diseases you could get, here's how pregnancy works. And it really, it really bothers me. That's and even in, even at a really young age, kids are curious about sex. They say, they say that the, the average age that a boy sees porn is like eight years old. I thought it was 11, but eight's pretty young. Yeah, right? no, that's, well, when they see it, when they're regularly exposed to it, it's a little later on. But the you know, average age for first exposure is around eight years old. And that's probably going to be getting younger and younger. Um, and I guess it depends what you define as pornography. But kids have questions about it. They want to know what it is. And it's... These and these are conversations that it's kind of weird to have with your parents, but you feel like you need to have them, so you go to other kids, and they have misinformation, and nobody talks about the emotional element. I mean, okay, so who was the first person who told you about sex? It's not weird if you start young enough. The yeah. problem is most yeah. parents wait far too long. Mm-hmm. Yeah. My so threw a book at me. If, 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 you're, if, if you're waiting to have conversations about sex... Till your kids are hitting puberty, you waited too long. Right. Yeah. yeah. Because the rest of the world, including other children, don't view them like, oh, they're pre-sexual or post-sexual. Their experiences, like you said, are going to happen at the age of eight. If you're not already there, and the thing is, <laughs> if you wait till if you wait till they're eleven or twelve, when their own insecurities are starting to come into play, then that conversation's awkward. But if it's a topic that's already been discussed mm-hmm. prior to that age, then by the time they reach that age, then there's nothing weird about it because they've already been talking about it. Right. right. We, we talk a lot about our bodies, um, the kids and I. Like, we, we talk a lot about body safety, about what's, um, what is and what's not appropriate in terms of touching both when they're interacting with each other, when they're interacting with other kids, when they're interacting with adults. Um, because that's, I feel like those are conversations you have to have from the moment that they can understand this body is mine. Yeah, right. exactly. Yeah, right. big time. And One that's so true. One was victimized very young. And I'm highly passionate about that topic of talking to your children early because mm-hmm. the more you can talk about it the more they are able to stand up and protect themselves Mm -hmm. and say something early yeah i did a science show at the preschool yesterday and it was it was great fun we were talking about skeletal and digestive systems but the first thing i talked about was okay we're going to talk about your bodies today and i said in in salt what is it psalm 139 or whatever it is um god said i are the the psalmist says um for you you've known me you've I'm fearfully and wonderfully made. You know me for you knit me together in my mother's womb. Yeah, that one. Um, and I'm fearfully and wonderfully made. And so I, you know, gave the kids that psalm, and I said, "Your body is your body, and nobody has permission to touch your body or to make you feel uncomfortable, um, because it's your body. And if somebody does make you feel unsafe, who can you tell?" And I had the kids give me some examples of, of, of grown-ups that they can trust because. Three-year-olds need to know that. Oh yeah, yeah. big time, big time. Yeah. And the teachers were kind of looking at me like, "Aren't you talking about digestive system? Like, aren't we talking about <laughs> that <laughs> too? Yeah. Nobody's yes. allowed to touch your digestive system. <laughs> yeah, <nobody> that's right. <laughs> yeah, no. Um, one more thing before we end this discussion on lies, money. I wanted to bring that one up too. Has anybody ever lied about spending money on something, and or, like you spent money? And then made up a story on where that money went. I don't think so. 
Maybe. If I did, it was probably just to my parents. (laughs) 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 And it wasn't my thing to lie about to me because it's too easily tracked. Yeah, that's true. You get into wait. What is that from? I never lied about where my money went, but I did lie about where my parents' money went. (laughs) 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 I was a drug dealer, so my parents were really curious about I was getting money as a teenager. Uh, in large amounts, and they were like, "Where is this money coming from?" So, well, I just made up all these weird stories, and well, I'm doing this thing. It's a drive for muscular dystrophy. <laughs> that was the most creative one. Just being caught with a wad of cash. My mom's like, "Where did this come from?" I'm like, um, "You know, there's this thing, and I'm trying to sign people up for muscular dystrophy to do a run." <laughs> My mom totally bought it, and I'm like 16. Yeah. I was 17, you know, going to a hotel and paying for a big suite for all my friends. We stayed actually right here in Everett. It was the Holiday Inn back then or something like that. But it was a, the biggest room they had. <laughs> I was 17. We just partied the shit out of that place. And, uh, and, and having to explain, you know, it was just, it was just, a, it was just an ocean of lies. I don't know. And then having to lie to other people that I was doing business with about the other people that I was doing business with and keeping all these stories straight. So that was a big thing with the lies, too, is when you tell a lie, you have to remember that shit. <laughs> the more lies you yeah. tell, yeah, it's hard to, <laughs> it's hard to keep a, all these when stories I was a kid, straight. I also uh, dabbled in pharmaceutical sales. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> um, but it was it was easy for me to lie about it because I was a caddy at the local country club, hmm. and I made a ton of money doing that as well. Right, and you had a good laundering source, both at the same time. And then a lot of the pharmaceutical sales was done at the country club. <laughs> <laughs> and so it was just it was oh how was your day? Amazing. I got and lots I would of go to the, I would go to the bank on you know Monday or Tuesday whenever the I wasn't working and deposit all of this cash into my savings or checking account, and it's just, this was my earnings from Thursday, Friday, Saturday, Sunday kind of thing. There's green fees, and then there's green fees. <laughs> yeah. That was me, too. I was making, like, like $300 a week at my shitty job at flight form cases, where we put together amplifier cases. And then on the weekends, I'd do a couple of cocaine runs and make 800 to to $1,000 in a couple of hours, you know, just driving from Marysville to Everett and then back to Marysville, and I'd put, you know, between, yeah, like 800 to to $1,000 in my pocket and another eight ball of cocaine to go along with it. So, yeah, it got hard to explain where all that money was coming from and going because I spent it as fast as I could made it. Like Speaking of explaining where money comes from and where it's going, so our, our just-now-turned-seven-year-old has been struggling a bit with the lying issue, especially in relation to money. She's recently discovered money and figured out what it's for kind and of. how it's you know, how it's used and how she it's knows she wants to have goods. it, but she knows she'd like to have money and, and um you know she got some money And how old for, is she? She's she just turned seven. A seven. Um and she got some money for for a yard sale and she decided she needs somewhere to keep it and I had an extra wallet so I gave her the wallet. You know, she went and spent the money on toys because that's what it was for and then she didn't have any money in her wallet and she wanted to have money in her wallet so she thought that she would just get some money and put it in her wallet well where's she going to find money in our house in my wallet <laughs> right. so 
I, I, I was going to put her wallet away. I was, I was heavy, and I looked at it, and I was like, where did she get $95? <laughs> like, oh, this is not no. something to sneeze at. And uh, it took a Also didn't bit, realize she did how much she up. grabbed either. Like, yeah. didn't really realize. She grabbed some money. Right. She did. <laughs> <laughs> and so she's so learning how much she can get away with. And $95 is more than she can get away with. Um, but she also, I don't know, a couple weeks, a couple weeks ago, um, came. She like, she had this kind of weird expression. She left the room. She opened the front door. She ran outside, and then she ran back in, and she was holding up this twenty dollar bill. And I said, "What's what's that? Where'd that come from?" And she said, "I just found it outside. I think someone must have dropped it because I just found it right over there by the pool on the ground, and there was nobody around. So like, way too many details, right?" Um, and uh, it's like, "Oh, really? That's interesting. Are you sure you found it there and not in my wallet? Because I noticed that there's twenty dollars missing from my wallet." <laughs> oh no! And so she fessed up, and we oh, had to nice. deal with that. But mostly, she's uh, learning how to lie better. I don't know that she's learning <laughs> she's, a whole lot about lying. She's supposed to um, every. I don't know if it's every day, but but approximately every day, the kids um, in her class they write in their journals and they write a story in their journal. And I was flipping through, we had her conference today, and I was flipping through her stories in her journal, and every single one of them starts out true. And then ends up, you know, it started out with, um, oh, I fell out of my bed, uh, which is something that happened. And I cried, which is something that happened. And I broke my foot, which is not something. <laughs> <laughs> or the one I read today, which said, I went swimming at the beach, which happened. Joe was with me, which happened. We saw a shark. Did not happen. <laughs> right. <Not> shark. <laughs> she very well. Yeah. Every good lie has elements of truth. She's dealing with it's that. coming slow. Is it, is yeah. it yeah. similar to the guy that went fishing? She's pretty convincing. <laughs> yeah. yeah. <laughs> so it's hard for the teacher to know and call her out. There you go. But I'm... So that's something that kids. I've heard that kids do that. Like there's a there's a line that they cross between, like, what's fantasy and what's reality. Right. It's like, like kids can't really tell the difference. Right. Yeah. they're well, learning to make make believe. They start to, yeah, yeah, you almost yeah, have to. Trying to figure out what they can get away in. with too. And all right. this brings back to <laughs> me that you know, with the infidelity conversation, is it's just vaginal intercourse. It's infidelity. So that if it's not that, you don't have to confess it. I, that's Bill Clinton. <laughs> <laughs> that's right. <laughs> that sounds like a place to land the plane. That's right. We're going to land the plane right there. Thanks for listening. I hey, here's a question for listeners. Uh, have you ever had someone try and get you to keep a lie? Like, have you ever had somebody say, hey, uh, I want you to, to lie for me about this? Punk Theology Podcast at Gmail. We'll read that stuff on the show. Uh, interested Maybe. in hearing from listeners. Maybe. Maybe, unless it's really boring. Unless, like, you know, it's illegal. And <laughs> unless it's illegal. <laughs> We're not going to be accepted. Yeah. Well, I don't know. It might be more interesting if it's illegal. Don't <laughs> make, don't make shit up. If it's illegal, make it illegal. <laughs> don't lie. <laughs> don't lie. Oh, well, read it. It's we really just might embellish it to make it better. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> We're going to Caitlin on it. <laughs> That's right. And... We're out.